talking about revived and ready. And we're doing some of our um, heritage, history, culture, and values at the moment and looking at who we are. Uh, because especially if you joined us in the last few years, it's important. Every church is slightly different. Some people worry about the concept of churches and denominations. I don't. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, I will bring them out in their divisions. Uh, unity is not uniformity. There are clear tribes, and we all have different purposes on the earth, and we all bring a different thing. And so when you walk into a church, you've got to know what part of the tribe, which tribe is this, what's the emphasis, what's the purpose on the earth, what truth, what revelation, what restoration is this group of people bringing. So when you walk in, you may have come from a different tribe, and if you feel called to this tribe for the next season of your life, you need to know, right, how do I adjust into what this tribe are doing on the earth. So you might move from a pastoral tribe to a apostolic tribe, from a local tribe to one that thinks globally, from one that 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 thinks uh, um, uh, uh, strongly in the areas of evangelism more than others, and then others that really are about bringing truths as well as evangelism. Now we all do all of these things, but you lean more into certain DNA as a church, and that is good, not bad. If we were all the same, uh, how boring. So I love the fact that we're all so different because I sit back honestly as a church leader thinking, I'm really glad that Vineyard is in the city and Jubilee is in the city and Holy Trinity is in the city and Hell Community Church is in the city because we don't do what they do and we don't have to, but together we get the job done, all right? So we're all different tribes and we're talking about our particular tribe's heritage and culture and values and history. And so I started the last couple of weeks, but if you give us the next slide, please, um, Lucy. Uh, so I, the last couple of weeks I looked at this, we're at, we are at our best when we're living with a powerful sense of the outpouring of God's spirit. That's part of who we are. As, as Emily said in her brilliant presentation there, oh, Emily, you inspire me so much. Wow. You know, we're doing our bit in the global outpouring of the Holy Spirit, global revival, but you've got to be able to take it right down to a toddler group on Kingswood and go, the Spirit of God is reviving lives there, touching them with dreams and visions and healing and, and words from God and salvation and prayer. That's what it's all about. We're at our best when we're living with a powerful sense of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I talked about that the last couple of Sunday mornings. And uh, last Sunday night, we had a great time. Those of you that were there, we had a great time, didn't we? In fact, didn't get to preach at all, was planning to preach a little bit, but didn't get to do it at all. But there were people speaking in tongues for the first time, a couple of instant healings, lots of sense of God, loads of prophecy. And there's something in that atmosphere. It's like the Welsh miners would say, the Welsh revival was like a mining explosion. There was divine debris in the air. And that's the kind of church that we are. We expect there to be divine debris in the air. There is just Ooh, God's in this place. And that's who we are. And that's what we're running after. Uh, and let me just share another little point of why. Next slide, if you would, is a scripture. Numbers 6, 22 to 27 says this. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you to bless the Israelites. This is what the priests had to do over the people. They would say this, say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Look at verse 27. It's amazing. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Now listen, the name of God, healer, provider, sanctifier, 
the Lord who sees me, my strength, my, my, my strong tower, the Lord my peace. When God puts his name on you, he's saying, I, I, I will be who I, I will be. I'm going to be me to you. Is that okay? God can only ever be himself to you. But without a doubt, we've got to draw heaven into our world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and so who wants the name of the Lord placed on them? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Turn to the person next to you and say, get God's name on you. Right? Because God's name is the antidote to everything. So that's why Jesus says, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it's your kingdom come because the kingdom follows the name. So the Lord, your healer, then after that comes all of the power of heaven to heal you. The Lord, your sanctifier, you're struggling with sin and you get the name of the sanctifier, the holy one on you. And suddenly, bang, bondages start to go. Addictions start to stop. Desires start to change. And you're thinking, wow, I'm becoming holy. Why? God put his name on me he wrote something in my heart he just didn't give me rules in a book he wrote something on my heart and transformed me yabba dabba come on that that's what it's all about God places his name on us and here it tells us how he places his name on us it says the priests have got to say this this is what you do. I like to know what you do. I like to be forensic. I need to work out. I need to engineer, understand in an engineering sense how God works. Anybody? I want to know God's ways so that I can find favor. That's what he said with Moses. So this is the way that you get God's name on you. It says this. The priests say, look at the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now, if you know your Bible and if you heard me preach about presence before, you'll know this. The word face and the word presence are the same word in the Bible. Exactly the same word. They just, they just translate it according to the context. But it's the same word. And if you think about it, it's pretty obvious. If, if I turn up and you see my face, you say, Jared was present. His presence was there. When God comes and his face turns up in a place, anybody ever sense the breezes of heaven, the breath of heaven, the word of God being whispered, the eyes of God, that sense that God is in the room, you could say, wow, his presence was there. Or you could say his face turned up and he was smiling. Right, listen. So let's read it again. The Lord bless you, I say to you this morning, but really it's Jesus, the high priest, that has said this over you 2,000 years ago. Jesus said, I bless you and I keep you. I will make my presence shine on you. And he did from Acts chapter 2 onwards. I will make my presence flow and shine and be bright over your life. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen over you. God made that happen. I will make my presence shine on you. And that's how I'll be gracious to you. I'll give you things you don't deserve. Are you getting in a good mood yet? Right. I'll make my presence shine on you and be gracious to you. In other words, I'll outpour my spirit on you. The Lord turn his presence toward you and give you peace. And when that presence turns toward you, God says, that's how I'll put my name on you. When you sense the presence of God touching your heart, he's putting his name on you. Last Sunday night, there was maybe a hundred of us gathered and we were seeking God and praying and praising and some were overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some were healed, some were speaking in tongues. What was God doing? He was putting his name on us. 
the high priest was speaking from heaven, I will bless you. I will keep you. I will put my, 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 my presence toward you. My smile will touch your life. And thus, I will put my name on you. So now you're no longer, you're, you're no longer Jared. You're Christ in Jared, the hope of glory. The name of God is blessing your life. Why do we love the presence of God? Because when you get in his presence, his name is placed on your life. And he's a healer, he's a sanctifier, he's your peace. So when you're worried, get into the presence, let him put his name. I am your peace on your heart. When you're sick, get into his presence, let him put his name. I am your healer on your life. This is why we love the presence of God. Why? Because it means God's in the room being who God is. Anybody got a friend who just lights up the room? I know, you're all thinking of me, aren't you? I know, I know. That's, what are we laughing about? What? When he walks into the room, he lights up the room. And we go, right, 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 right. Presence has walked in the room, so healing has walked in the room. And sanctification, freedom from all my sins and shame, has walked in the room. Righteousness, right standing with God, has walked into the room. Peace, no more worry, has walked into the room. And we say, oh, 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 Jesus, can I marry into your family? Put your name on me and change me. That's why we love the presence of God, because he puts his name on us when we're in the presence of God. Amen? I was praying for someone uh, just three weeks ago with cancer. Uh, this man came to me, a fairly new Christian, he seemed, and I, I, I prayed for him, and uh, the presence of God hit his life. He began to shake. He said afterwards, you know what? I've never raised my hands more than this, but I couldn't help but raise my hands like this when you prayed for me. It was great. And uh, he went, he went to, to bed that night feeling that God had really done a work in his life, but became very, very ill in the night. And, and he was sweating and in pain. And he was thinking, oh, no, that, you know, I thought God had done something. And now it's like all those same cancer symptoms are, 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 are back again. And he said, I dropped to my knees next to the bed. And I said, God, I thought you dealt with this tonight. And he heard God say to him, well, how do you think I'm going to get this thing out of you? He went back to bed and the consultant has now given him the all clear. He, I, I just got that text like I put in my letter to all of you this week. I just got that text on the way to pray for Irene this week. God is in the healing business. Let him put his name on you. And you do that by entering his presence and letting him bless you as the high priest. Amen. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, everybody in a good mood now. Great, great, great. Okay, what's the next slide say then? Um, so we're looking at, yes, heritage, history, culture, and values. And uh, so Chris and I want to kind of uh, mention another one for a few minutes this morning. And we've got a little announcement, a little adjustment uh, to make to our church culture as we do. Okay, so do listen up and don't think, well, you know, uh, I've heard this. The reason is we're getting to a, a little announcement. It isn't grand. It isn't huge. But it is a little adjustment that we've been working on for six months and we believe will lead to uh, powerful outcomes uh, in the long term. So here's, here's the, the point that we want to look at today. Uh, we're at our best when we are at the bottom, it gets to the conclusion, disciples. What do I mean by that? Learning, growing. I should have the word mission up there, shouldn't I? Exploring, adventuring. As a church, which is a lot of individuals, everybody say me. Everybody say he's talking to me. And then tell the person actually, no, he's talking to you. That works great, okay. We're at our best 
when we are disciples learning and growing and exploring and adventuring. Uh, Jesus said, I want you to know my teaching. When you know it, when you wrap your lives around it and, and, and let it get right into you and you persevere with it. In other words, he literally says, if you survive my teaching, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We have to get our lives into a place where the word of God is like a sword dealing with the issues of our heart. Now, don't look at me all holy like you don't have issues. The only one without issues in this room. <laughs> I wasn't going to say me, Stuart. No, no. It's Jesus. Right? We're all growing. We're all maturing. We're all developing. And every one of us has a sword to the heart if we're really growing in God. And we go, oh, right. Yep. I know I've got to deal with this. And listen, you think, well, it's because I'm 24. No, not me, you. Or, or because I'm 34. Or maybe it's just, oh, well. But listen, you're going to get to 40 and go, I thought I'd deal with this when I was 20. You're going to get to 50 and go, I thought I dealt with this earlier. You're going to get to 80 and go, there's still issues in my life God's dealing with. You're going to get to 90 saying, I'm still working on my prayer life. I'm still developing holiness. I'm still growing in God. It is part of discipleship to walk with the sword and to let the sword cut into our hearts with the beautiful, beautiful gentle nature of a, of a surgeon and pull out the things of the enemy and pull out the rottenness of this world so that we end up like him. By the time we see him, we shall be like him. And the way God told us to do that is discipleship. We get into a team, we get into a community where our lives are changed by divine conversations and by divine community and something happens along the way that makes us Christ-like but there's always mission there's always adventuring there's always exploring there's always learning never ever ever take your L plates off and go I've made it I'm there if you're not learning you're dying because if you think I don't care whether you're 24 or 74 if you think you know it all you've not met God billions of years old even though that's an inadequate way to put it but he knows everything and he's looking at us saying, oh, don't be dumb. My ways are not your ways. Come up here, higher, higher. And when you get to the heights, he goes, and higher still. And we're all getting dizzy with it. And God's saying, and higher still. There's always more to learn. Listen, if you're bored, it's your fault. <laughs> A disciple doesn't get bored. And they go, all right. I'm feeling that dullness come on me. I'm going to get into the next thing with God and the next stage. And so we've got to be running after the things of God. Now, in the grand context, here's why. I want to read you the parable of, of the talents, or as my NIV now says, I discovered this morning, it's the new NIV version. It says the parable of the bags of gold. Anyway, let's, let's read it. I'll, I'll read it to you. There's two of them, so just sit back for a bit, eat popcorn and listen. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who, was call, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought another five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Everybody say faithful. Uh, See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. I've read it again. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Say in charge. 
Come and share your master's happiness. The man who with two bags also came, Master, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, everybody go, boo. The master said, I know that you're a hard man. Harvesting we have not sown and gathering we have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. Everybody say afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked. Everybody say wicked. Everybody say faithful. Everybody say wicked. You wicked, lazy servant. You knew, so you knew that I harvest where I've sown, not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with a banker. So when I returned, I would have, would have at least received it back with interest, some versions say. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Scary verse in the Bible, everybody talking to Christians and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where they'll be weeping and ganashing of teeth. Everybody say ganashing. It's not a silent G, no. Ganashing. Okay, look, a couple of little points from this story, because this is why we need to be disciples. Number one, if you go back to the first slide, Lucy, for me. Look at, uh, are we there? No, back, back again. Is it? Oh, oh, no, forward again. That's perfect. It's like pantomime, isn't it? Here's the first thing. He said, it's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Say entrusted. To when he gave five, to another two, to another one bag. Listen to this line here, verse 15. Each according to his ability. Say ability. We sometimes preach this as if God is kind of divinely in heaven, choosing where he wants to put his favorites. And saying, oh, I'm going to give this one. We, we, we preach it like this because the old um, uh, monetary uh, word that we use in, in other versions is talent. So we actually preach it like God gives talents. And, and we, we know it isn't, but we still preach it like it is, that it's about God giving gifting to people, that people are gifted. Some are more gifted than others. That's not what it's saying at all. It says, I give you responsibility connected to your ability. Understand, this is the master that's worked with all these people before. He knows their ability. They have a track record. And so he gave to the most capable one the most and said, you have proved yourself most able. I'm going to give you five. He gave to a lesser able person less. And in fact, the one he gave one to, you might have been thinking, I don't know where's this going to go. But anyway, I'll give him one and see what he does. Because I know this guy, they're my servants. And he gives to them, not just in heaven going, I divinely make you more talented than you and you more talented than you. It's nothing to do with talent. It's everything to do with responsibility. He said, I will give you a, a, a portion of my kingdom wealth into your life based on what you've proved to me so far. You have to be growing in God for God to bless you with the things of his kingdom. He's looking for us to prove our ability to him and show faithful with what he's given us. And as we show leadership and diligence and discipleship and learning and humility and walking with the sword and letting the God get into our hearts and changes and learning leadership skill and then going further and learning leadership finesse. 
developing mature leadership and mature ability, God says, right, I'm going to take you from two to three to four. I'm giving you five dollops of my kingdom and go and show and grow what I've given you with responsibility. What God has given every one of us in this room is responsibility, not talent, responsibility. And he's watching our ability saying, if you prove yourself, I will give you more. Question, are you proving your ability as a disciple to God? Are you growing in the things of God? Are you growing in leadership? Are you growing in kingdom, kingdom impact? Because God gives to those that show ability. We've got to make ourselves choice. So we become chosen. That's how God works with us. So firstly, it isn't some random unfairness from heaven. It is God saying, who's proven themselves to me in the past? I'm going to give you more and let's see what you do with my kingdom. I'm going to give you a bit, do more with it. Here's the second thing. From this story, faithfulness is not giving God back what he's given you. God does not give you responsibility. He does not give you a connect group. He does not give you a department. He does not give you a ministry or a vision to babysit. Faithfulness is multiplication. Those who multiplied were faithful. Those who just gave him back what he gave them and kept it safe for their life, he called wicked and lazy. So faithfulness is to multiply and increase what God gives you. This is why we've got to be disciples. Why? Because it's really important that we give back to God more than he gave us. When we can say, God, I worked this, I developed this, I studied this, I grew internally, I grew externally, and I took the things you gave me and I grew them. Listen, if you get given a department, a connect group, whatever it is from the church, don't hand back a year later in the same state the thing that you took on. That's called wicked and lazy in the kingdom of God. Wow. Faithfulness is not faithfulness if there's no multiplication. In the story, double it. And then you get called faithful. We think faithful is I've held the fort. I've kept it going and I'm giving it back to you. God, you gave me 10 people and I'm giving you 10 people. You gave me 50 people and I'm giving you 50 people. You gave me 100, I'm giving you 100. You gave me this talent or this vision and I give it back to you intact, babysitting, all done. And we expect to hear at the pearly gates, well done, good and faithful servant. But God will go, wicked, lazy servant, what are you doing? I expected you to grow it because when he first put us on the earth, he said, multiply. It's in you. When you're walking with God, it is natural to multiply. Everybody go multiply. And say it like I'm saying it, multiply. You're made to multiply. God gives you 10, you give him back 20. God gives you 30, you give him back 60. God gives you 100, you give him back 200. And he goes, faithful servant who took all of the heart, pain, and growth, and development, and skills, and learning about me and the kingdom, and how mankind works too. That was Jesus, favor with God, favor with man. Took all of that on board, and then grew. And God says, that's a disciple. That's faithfulness. Let's not hand back what God gives us. We have the power, his power here on earth, to grow it. So we've been looking at an area uh, of our development as disciples. We want to make sure as a church we are right on the cutting edge of making sure that we make disciples because that's what God's told us to do. Amen? The danger in a church is you can preach stuff like I've just preached but actually the culture 
gives lots of scope for Christians to be quite cozy and never become disciples, which isn't ultimately what we want. So something's been going on for six, eight, nine months, quite a while now. So this isn't radical. You've heard all this before, but we're making a, a small announcement and a small adjustment on how we're doing it. Why? The whole point of this is to nudge us gently and kindly towards we're going to be disciples. We're here to change the world. We're here to grow in God. We're every single person in this room, man, woman, child, whatever God has given you that signifies where you've got to in your life before him. Now the job is this. I'm going to multiply it with his help. I'm going to multiply it with his principles. And I'm going to give God back more than I started with. And God goes faithful. So as your leader, I want to hear when I hear all the revived guys walking through the door. Oh, listen to heaven. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Cheers, cheers, cheers. More blessing, more blessing. And that's my job. And that's Chris's job to say, come on, guys. Let's design our life together so that we're disciples on a mission touching our world with Jesus. Amen. So Chris is going to come and he's going to share a little bit of the how we're going to do that and the little adjustment that needs to be made. Then I'm going to come and wrap it up with some Morris dancing. <laughs> Looking forward to that. So, so the question that I'm looking at is, how can our church structurally designed reflect what Jared's just been saying? How can we best serve you guys so that you can take that bag of gold and use it? Because at the moment, um, we expect you to come on a Sunday, and then we expect you to be in a connect group so you get your life in circles. And then we expect you to, to join a service team, whether it's worship team, stewarding, um, and that, that gets your your service done, and then we're saying, well, you need to be evangelistic. Okay, I need to go on the street team, or I need to do something else, so I've got to join that as well. And then there's the prayer. Well, I've got to do my prayer if I'm a good person. Okay, and then you get into leadership, and you have to go to a leadership meeting. And then we say we want to do a conference, and you go to that. And then we say, oh, we want to plant a campus over here. And suddenly you're going, I've got eight, eight nights out a week, and I don't have eight nights. <laughs> so how can we structure our church so that you guys have enough energy and passion and space so that you can take your, your bag of gold and see increase. Can I have my first slide? And as Jared said, this is nothing new. It's, that, it's not that one. Next one, next one, brilliant. So what have we been doing? We've been looking at our departments, our worship team, our stewarding team, um, our children's work team. And we've been saying to, to all our teams, can you function more like a connect group? Can you do life in circles within your department? In other words, you're serving, so why not actually do read the Bible together, pray together, look after each other? And this is based on something I said, the best departments I've ever belonged to operated like a connect group. Because we work better when we're in a team. We work better when I, know the, I actually know the person to my left and right. And when they give me that funny look, I'm not offended because I actually realize that's just the look they make um, when they've bitten their tongue. And it's not actually that they didn't like what I say. As we get to know each other better, there's less offense. We can actually trust each other. So we've been doing that. And we've been moving departments more into a team which has these three things in it. And then at the same time, we've been looking at our connect groups and we're saying... I spoke to him in September last year and I said, let's look at Acts 2. What, what do people do in the homes? Let's get the prayer going. Let's get the communion going. Let's get in looking after each other. You know, like life in circles on steroids. Just read Acts 2. And then, and then at Christmas, I, I gave all the connect groups the connect group challenge, which was, can you put an event on to invite non-Christians 
in, into something that you're doing and then invite them to church. What was I doing? I was being very sneaky and getting those two pillars of service and outreach in one, one thing into your connect groups. And we had brilliant stuff going on. We had a, a, a connect group in, in Cottingham going into an old people's home. We had another connect group putting a, a, a fair, no, it was a craft fair on. And then, and then witnessing from that, we had, we had Bob going in with bowling and I was there in B&Q as he's asking his fellow workmates, you coming to, to what I'm organizing? I, was, I didn't make myself known, but I was smiling at, at the counter. We've had... And we had one connect group and, and they, they didn't want to do that. But what they did dedicate themselves to was we're going to name three people and we're going to pray for them every week and we're going to keep ourselves accountable each week. Have you asked them yet? Yeah, it was bringing these, these pillars right into connect groups. So we've been moving groups into teams and we've been moving departments into teams really so that we only have teams. So every connect group, we want them to graduate to become a team. We want every department, now some are very small, um, and two people doesn't make a very good team, um, but most departments are also taking this up and becoming a team, and those which have got two or three of them, I'm working on them because I reckon I can do it. I reckon we can get them in, into teams as well. There's ways of doing things. Um, and it's based because the best department I belong to op operate like a connect group, and the best connect groups... I've been in, had a mission. So what are we doing through this exercise? It's not just playing around with things. We're, we're making it so that wherever you connect in with church, you get discipleship, you get life in circles, you get opportunity to serve, you get opportunity to witness. It's so that you don't have to be out three nights a week. One meeting will make this happen. And I don't have to have a different set of my friends for serving. I don't have to have a different amount of friends to, to get to know each other because actually I want to, my life to be a bit more simpler than that and more knitted together than that. So, connect groups will disappear from my language and they will be replaced by <laughs> revive teams. It's obvious, isn't it? Revive teams. Um, okay, come to the next slide. So what is the focus of a revive team? We've already been talking about it. It's discipleship. It's releasing people. So the focus is this. Are the people in the team growing? Are, they, are people getting saved? Are people moving forward? Are they being transformed from glory to glory? Is the light of God affecting their life? Are they going into their workplace and seeing... Um, God exploding their workplace? Are, are they seeing their local community transformed? Are they inspiring revival in others? Are they encouraging others to be Christians? Because that's what discipleship is. We're encouraging people to be disciples. So what the main focus of whatever revived team is, is are people being discipled? It's not, was that an amazing Bible study? It's not, it was the cake tasting really nice. Um, my wife makes some lovely food, but not cake, which is a good job because I would eat it. Um, it's not, if we take the worship team, it, actually it's not producing the great worship. It's do we have people being discipled who are a part of the worship team? And I'll tell you why. Because we've got people in a team who are properly being discipled, who are hungry for God. Yeah 
who are searching for him, who are seeing, who are witnessing, who are serving, not doing it for themselves, who are connected with people they love, guess what? We'll end up with the best worship team. We'll end up with the best stewarding team. We'll end up with the best children's team because it's done in team and not a load of individuals. It's done with people who are hungry and expectant for God to move because they don't just see it when they come to church. They see it every day of their life because they become a disciple. So what does a revived team, I told you what it doesn't, what the main focus isn't. Well, let's look at CMA. CMA, I love CMA. Walk into the office of CMA and it's just this lovely presence of God when you walk in there. Because, do you know what? They are a team. You can see it. I don't need to ask them, what are you doing to, to make sure team dynamics happen in this group? You just walk in and you can just see it. You can just feel it. You can just see by the way they, they talk to each other. But they're living life in circles. They're also serving uh, Christians, non-Christians, by, by helping them get rid of their debt. And then they're also using that opportunity to pray for people, to witness for people. It's got the three pillars in it. And they didn't even know that they were a revived team until this moment. But they are. We've heard Emily already talking about little angels. You know, they're serving the community. They're bringing prophecy, bringing dreams, praying for people. They are doing the evangelism. And as Emily said it, come and join a group of friends because they do community. And they, they, they pray before. It's, honestly, you walk in, you don't need to ask, are these guys doing life? You don't need to ask any of these players. You can just see it right in front of you. We had the worship team who... They don't, they don't rehearse every Thursday. They get together once a month to, to do more team work. And then there was this lovely little happy accident where they put on a um, open, mic. open mic night. That's the one. And, uh, oh, there's non-Christians in the room now. Oh, we've got, this is a great way to get the unsaved into church and connected to the worship team, to like-minded people. They've got the three pillars. We've got Carol and Alan Moore who are going to Romania in, the, in their connect group, we're called Revive Team. I've just done the first faux pas. All right, you can make it now because I've done it. Uh, and in their, in, their, in their group, they've got people who are praying for them. They've got people who are going to go to Romania with them. They've got people who are giving them financial contribution to go to. Why? Because they're a team. I don't need to tell them they're a team. I don't actually need to tell them how to do it. They're already doing it. We're not trying to change stuff. We're trying to enhance what people already do. It's enhancing that talent you've got, that, that back bag of gold, and saying, let's take some of the lids off. What is a revive team? It's what you need it to be. Can my revive team go on the streets? Well, of course it can. Can my revive team do this? Yes, it can. Well, I've just said that. I hope, I hope nobody comes and, and says something which they can't do. Um, but can a revive team... Don't feel constrained by what you think it, it can be. So if, if you've been in a connect group before, you might think, well, it has to be in a home and it has to have a Bible study and it has to have prayer. No, no, the focus is this. Are the people in that group being discipled? Are they moving on with God? Is heaven meeting earth in their lives? Is it relevant to their everyday life? How can we best serve these people? Um, so you could go to Bob, Bob's group, Bob's new revive team, because I want to serve. Oh, but I thought I went there for life in circles. No, because I know I can go to, to what was, what was, Bob's Connect group, and I can get my life in circles. I can get my, my serving. I can get the encouragement to be outward focused and witness to the lost. Because wherever you connect, you will get the three pillars. Can you be more than, part of, more than one? Yeah. You might be a bit silly being part of ten. Depends on you. But, you know, it's, we're not trying to make this complicated. It's, it's supposed to be an organic 
creation, we're just trying to simplify how we talk about things. One great thing about team is teams really stack up when it gets hard. They really do. Nehemiah, he's, he's building the wall, the walls of Jerusalem back up again. And the enemies of God are coming against them. They're all in defensive line. And he, he talks to the troops, the troops being women, children, any age, everybody, basically take up a weapon and fight. And he doesn't say, let's fight for God. He doesn't say, let's fight for me. He says, let's fight. Fight for the person on your right. Yeah. Fight for the person on your left. Yeah. Because when it gets hard, you need team. Soldiers in, in, you know, in, in wars, they often don't fight for king and country. They don't often fight for the general somewhere else. They, they fight for the person on their left and their right because I don't want to let my friend down. I don't want to be the, the weak link in this group. I want to see my, my friend succeed, and I, I care so much for these guys around me that I'm, I'm going to be the best I can be. That is the culture we want within Revive Church. Loads and loads of revived teams which are so close-knit because they so love and care for each other, and yet they're outward-focused and missional. Can I have the next slide, please? Rooted. So why have I been doing Rooted? What is Rooted all, all about? Rooted is not a Bible study. It has Bible study in it. Rooted is not about prayer, though there's prayer in it. Rooted is about connection. Rooted is, is actually, it's about connecting you with God, but the main thing within Rooted is this. It gets a group of people and takes them on a journey so that they become a team. So that's why we've been putting Rooted in, because we want to create teams. We want to create people who are, are deeply connected with other people within in the church. And then through Rooted, you will, you will see the values of life in circles, of service, and in outreach, it is a culture-changing course, which basically pulls people together and changes people's outlook to, to what? To what a revive team should be. Which is why I'm, I'm, I'm saying, please, if, if you haven't got on Rooted, get on Rooted. It will change your life. It will release you. This is not about putting barriers to you. It's about taking the barriers away so that you can use your bag of gold. And see, and see it increase. So have a, the next slide, please. So we, this is our pathway, our new pathway. Pathway is just basically how does someone move through the church? Some people call it a discipleship pathway. Some call it an integration pathway. Uh, most churches have it. Basically, how does someone connect in with church? So the first thing is very simple. When someone comes on a Sunday morning, we ask them to fill in a connect card. Why is that important? Well, it means we can invite them to welcome lunch. It means we can actually start communicating with people. If we, if we don't have it, we can't communicate. Um, welcome lunch, most of you have probably been to one. It's a great way of just meeting people, a two-way conversation, telling people about the church. From welcome lunch, we're going to heavily promote, promote get into Rooted, because what happens when you get into Rooted? Well, you start to experience the culture of revived teams, start to not necessarily count on that people the church to help you, but count on people beside you. And then from Rooted, Revive Teams, you'll either join the Revive Team or a Revive Team will be created for Rooted. And then from there is, is Revive Academy, which I'm not going to talk about too much today, which is our, our leadership engines and, and further things like that. Now, some people don't like to be constrained. If I tell them to do one thing, they do something different. That's 
kind of all right. Um, only kind of, depends what you mean. So we've had people who've turned up to Rooted and then I've tried to put them in, into the system and realized that they haven't actually filled in a, a welcome card yet and they haven't been to a welcome lunch yet. Is that a problem? Not a problem whatsoever. We can get them into a welcome lunch because you know, who would miss a free lunch? You know, and, and connecting with the pastoral team. Um, and connect cards, they could be filled in whenever. Um, so can someone start a revive team? Well, I want revive teams to be evangelistic. I've already said it. So I'm expecting connection from some people joining this church to be through a revive team. Whether that's an old connect group, whether it's a, something new or an old department, that doesn't really matter. The end goal is not that we get their connect card. The end goal is not that they've gone to lunch. It's that they're connected into church. What I would say, though, is uh, once someone joins a revive team, it is good to go back and do those steps. Um, if we don't have a connect card, we don't know if you've got... No, we don't have a database, database for... Um, date of birth, sorry, for a youth. We, we won't know that they should be going to youth and we're missing them. Or if we, or we can't get a, a pastor to visit you if you're sick. So we do need all this stuff. But you can start a revive team. I don't know if you can start a revive academy, but we'll, we'll leave that for later. Um, what I'm saying is this is what we present. This is what we say. We keep it simple. We keep it clear. When someone comes to church, we ask them to do this because we want to get them into a revive team. Whichever they do, whichever order, we'll sort it out. But the, the point is, let's get them in a revive team. Let's get them growing. Let's get them discipled. But this is not just about, as Jared was saying, it's not just a connect group which has got a new name, or it's not just a department which has a new name. It's what we've been saying. The culture which we've been putting into this church for the last nine months is this. To release people to find their destiny in God. To release people to use their pot of gold. It is, it is it's about people being mobilized. It's about, it's about discipleship. That, that is why we're doing this. We want to see Kingswood impacted. We want to see the region impacted. We want to see lives impacted. We want to see the region one for Jesus. And I can't get everywhere. Jarrett can't get everywhere. Stuart can't get everywhere. Sandra can't get everywhere. But as a team together, we have a revived team in Cotting. We have a revived team in Beverly. We have a revived team in Bruff. We have a revived team everywhere else. Regions can be transformed. We can transform regions when we can inspire global revival in every, every um, area. Jared. It's great. It was almost like Chris did, now for the science bit, you know, in that advert, which is great, really good. So essentially, everybody say, I'm not in a group. You know, group is, what kind of a word is that? Say, I'm not in a department. Everybody say, I'm in a team. Can you feel the difference? It's, it's got the closeness of a group, but it's got the purpose of a department. Somebody going, I can't feel a difference. But, I, you know, I <laughs> listen, we all want to be on mission. Yeah, Heather, come and, come and could the band come up? Thank you. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, we want to uh, be, be connected together in team, fulfilling our mission together. And, listen, here's the thing. Um, 
you won't find radical change because of this announcement. And I know a lot of you kind of uh, might know about it already, but you, you're going to find 5% change here and 6% there and 4% there, but there'll be small changes that make a huge difference. Remember, the kingdom of God works on keys, that's small things that unlock big doors. Okay, and so we're making a small change is in most departments, probably not every single department, but most that can live in circles, uh, uh, outwork service and outwork outreach at some point in their year are going to find, right, we're going to get into a team and we're going to make this journey fun and we're going to make it fulfilling and we're going to do it together and grow in God. And all the connect groups are going to become revived teams. Why? So that we can realize we're not just here to have cake and do Bible study. In some way, we've got to reach people. In some way, we've got to outwork the worship of service. There's something powerful about all that. Amen. So let's stand together in the presence of God. If you've got any questions whatsoever, it does not matter how complicated or how confusing, you ask Chris. That's, that's why we got a Chris. Every church needs a Chris. Can we just, thank Chris? Come on, he's doing an outstanding job, working very, very hard. And I love working with you, Chris. We're on a good journey. And all these adjustments and these developments are simply, it's not let's become a better organization. It's this, let's become more like Christ. Let's, let's do this really biblically as much as we can. And it isn't the sausage machine of a, the machinery of a church. No, 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 it's this, it's relationships, it's connections, it's visions, it's dreams, it's hopes, amen. Right, put your hand out in front of you. We're gonna to pray together, then we're gonna sing. And I want you to picture your pot of gold in your hand. God has placed something in your hand and it is it well done. Stuart just widened his hand a lot wider. And what God puts in your hand is dependent on your former proved ability. What you've done so far, God's saying, right, let's take this further. You've got years in you. Let's take this further. And I just want you to hold it before God. And I want you right now to ask God to help you to be faithful. And to be faithful means to multiply and to increase. God, I ask with all the revived teams in this room and the new ones about to start as we come to the end of every rooted course, God, I ask for divine strategies for reaching this region and the nations of the world. I pray there are, there are divine strategies for reaching the poor. There's divine strategies for caring for young people. There's divine strategies for healing the mentally ill. There's divine strategies for evangelism. There's divine strategies for global mission. There's divine strategies for releasing debt. Father God, pour out strategies on us as a family. Lord God, and let us fulfill the dreams that you put in our hearts together. Everybody, just if you can, begin to pray in tongues over your destiny, over your hopes and your dreams. Understand one day you'll stand before the King of Kings and be able to place before his throne the thing that he put in your heart in your hands but bigger but greater God and we cry multiply multiply let us be fruitful let people be saved and healed and transformed by what you put in our hands God God let your presence pour out in us put your name on our lives we pray in Jesus name